0: Psalm chapter 40 as so we continue our series of Summer in the Psalms. I am super excited about this psalm. It's one of my favorites. Good reminder to us of the Lord's strength even as we are facing trials. So if you'd like to follow along in the Bibles and the pew rack in front of you, if you don't have a Bible at your house in a good uh, readable translation, you're more than welcome to take the one from the pews in front of you. But when you found Psalm chapter 40, I invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet there are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is the word of the Lord from Psalm 40. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of it. Would you please be seated? I invite you to pray with me heavenly father i come to you relying upon you for strength you are my shield my strength my portion and my deliverer so god i ask that you would strengthen me by the power of your spirit lord that i would be as uh, first peter says the one who speaks as the words that are the oracles of god lord it wouldn't be my words it would be your word from psalm 40 That would remind us how to live, how to act when we are facing trials and storms that come to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate your word to us by your Holy Spirit, of whom we studied this morning in the Baptist Faith and Message Summer Series. God, we thank you for your spirit. We ask now that he would point us to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Sometimes, It feels like life comes at us in a never-ending wave of trials, like wave after wave after wave. No sooner does one challenging season pass than it seems like another storm is on the horizon. Psalm 40 is written a lot like the way life happens. In our prayer times, we are often thanking God for delivering us from one trial, and in the next breath, we're asking him for grace, for the next difficulty that we are currently facing. So if you can relate to how King David felt, listen closely as I try to show from Psalm chapter 40, four ways to remind ourselves of the rock-solid hope we have when we are facing life's storms. First, like David, we must learn to rejoice in past deliverance. Rejoice in past deliverance. David begins in the first three verses on a note of personal thanksgiving to the Lord. For having heard his cry for mercy and having placed his feet on a rock-solid st- rock pathway, David had been in a, a metaphorical pit of destruction with slimy walls in which he could never seem to get a foothold or to gain any traction. In other words, he was on his way to certain death, and yet God had graciously rescued him and made a way for him to sing. Now, I love Psalm 40, verse 3. As a former worship pastor, or I guess I can't really say that much these days, as a worshiping pastor... Psalm 40, verse 3 has been and continues to be a favorite verse of mine. It reminds me of these two truths. First of all, fresh deliverance calls for fresh songs. Fresh deliverance calls for fresh songs. When God works his wondrous ways in our lives, we cannot help but overflow with new expressions of gratitude for what he's done. And this is what makes me thankful for theologically sound modern songwriters who give us the gift of new expressions for new deliverance we experience. The second truth is that genuine worship and singing is always evangelistic in nature. Have you ever considered that before? Your song of praise to God, the psalmist says, will be seen by others. And if the Spirit moves in their lives and causes them to reverence God, that's a work of God through your singing. He says, God has put a new song in my mouth, the NIV 84, that I memorized it in, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see it. See what? The hymn of praise. And fear and put their trust in the Lord as a result of your heartfelt worship through song. LBC, you are a singing church. And I just want to encourage you, continue to sing with all of your heart, your soul, all your mind, and your strength. And the Lord will use your songs of thanksgiving to break apart the cold-heartedness of an unbeliever. That's what Psalm 40 and 3 says. And notice how David takes his personal thanksgiving public in singing. He declares the trustworthiness of the Lord to others. He proclaims the multiplied wondrous deeds and incomparability of the Lord through them. Or at least he tries. (laughs) In fact, he says in verse 5 that the deeds of the Lord are more than can be told. It reminds me of the end of the Gospel of John where John says of all the things Jesus did if i you know if we could write all the books it would be more than could fill the world It's like to paraphrase David it's like if he could uh, write all the songs about God's wondrous deeds i suppose the world itself could not contain the hymnals right friends do not neglect the usefulness of singing Take these bulletins with the music in them home and sing them with your families. Sing of the great faithfulness of the Lord to others. Sing with your children. Sing in your life group. Sing, sing, sing. Rejoice daily in the deliverance that you have found in Jesus Christ. How he's been faithful to his promises to you over the past several months or years. But then secondly, when you've been moved to rejoice in past deliverance, then that should lead you to respond with joyful devotion. So respond with joyful devotion as you meditate and sing of past deliverance. One of my mentors in ministry, Terry Williams, would often say something like this. If you leave a worship service unchanged, you've missed the point. If you leave a worship service unchanged, you've missed it. Worshiping the Lord, rejoicing in how he has delivered you, is transformative. It shifts our focus, calibrates our hearts, and properly aligns our affections. David's prayer And praise for deliverance led him to a place of sincere devotion to the Lord. He rightly understands that worship is not just about rituals. It is about a heart of obedience with ears that are opened to the word of God. Focus with me briefly on verse 8 of Psalm 40, where David says he delights to do the will of God instead of a bull or a goat, he wants to offer God himself. He he acknowledges God's anointing of him as the king, and he wants to fulfill all of what God requires of him. He devotes himself to obeying the law. He devotes himself to telling people about the deliverance of the Lord and the faithfulness of God's saving works. He says in verse 10, I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. In other words, David was fully devoted to a life of complete obedience to God. It wouldn't be much of a stretch, in my opinion, to think that what he is referring to is the act of having one's ear bored out on the post when you are totally pleased with who your master is, and you vow to be his servant forever. David is all in. He's all in in obedience to God. And yet, as David Kidner points out in his commentary, David outruns his words by speaking as if his self-offering will be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Now, if that is the implication of his words, which I think it was, he is not speaking only for himself, but more appropriately speaking prophetically, for the Messiah. And this is confirmed for us by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 and following. So, as scripture interprets scripture, we come to understand that this section of Psalm 40 was fulfilled in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first will, that is, in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is the way the author of Hebrews interprets Psalm 40. He confirms that David was ultimately prophesying about Jesus, Jesus being the one who fulfills this psalm. He is the one who can say without any mixture of sin or defect that he delights to do the will of God always. So Psalm 40 is one of those places in the Old Testament in which the incarnate Son of God can be seen not as through a glass darkly, but as though it was face to face. We see Jesus right there in the midst of Psalm 40. And what we learn, we learn that Jesus' life was a fulfillment of that which had been written about him. There was a plan for his life, a covenant between he and the Father in eternity past to save sinners through sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And God's word revealed to the prophets of old foretold this glorious son who would obey the father completely and offer himself as the true and great sacrifice. And he would do so by delighting, delighting to offer his body in crucifixion on a cross. Now that leads me to ask you and ask my soul as I prepared for this message, brothers and sisters what about us? What about you? If Jesus delighted to do the will of God, and it involved obedience to the point of death on the cross, how are you doing delighting in taking up your own cross and following him? Charles Spurgeon asks the question, did Christ find pleasure in abasement and torment, in suffering and dying for me? And I can find no pleasure in praying, hearing, meditating, and enjoying the sweet duties of communion with him? Did he come so cheerfully to die for me, and do I go so dead heartedly to prayers and sacraments to enjoy fellowship with him? Was it a pleasure for him to shed his blood and no pleasure for me to apply it and reap the benefits of it? Oh, let there be no more grumblings, lazy excuses, shifting of duty, or dead-hearted and listless performance of duty after we have such an example as Christ who delighted in the Father's will. John Flavel made a similar comparison. What are our sufferings in comparison to Christ's? Alas, there is no compare. There was more bitterness in one drop of his sufferings than in a sea of ours. Your delight and readiness in the paths of obedience is the very measure of your sanctification. That's a profound statement. Let me say it again. Your delight and readiness in the paths of obedience is the very measure of your sanctification. Now, let me simplify this for you. Maybe this is for the kids in the room. I don't know. Maybe we've been a little nebulous and metaphorical so far. Let me just break it right down for you. I love steak. I love steak. A nice, juicy, ribeye, marinated in Dale's low sodium marinade, and then placed on a hot grill, like 500 degrees for maybe 80 to 90 seconds on each side, and then placed on indirect heat to temperature. Okay, I love steak, juicy steak. My mouth is watering just talking about it. The Bible says Jesus had as much delight in doing the will of God as we do in eating and drinking. When the disciples came back to Jesus when he was ministering to the woman at the well, she had gone to tell the town about who she had encountered. And the disciples asked him, Jesus, aren't you going to take a minute to eat? And do you remember what he said? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. That's my food, Jesus said. And so to paraphrase one preacher, Jesus was as willing to bleed and die for you as you are to eat when you're hungry. He was delighted as much to be scourged, wounded, and crucified as you and I delight in eating a juicy steak. That's profound. Dear saints, let us, when we reflect on past deliverance and respond with joyful and obedient devotion to him, do so with delight, even as we face sufferings and trials like our Lord himself did. This leads me to point number three, and that is that we should reaffirm God's mercy in present distress. Reaffirm God's mercy in present distress. The second half of this psalm is David pleading with God to deliver him, which merely goes to prove the thesis of the opening of the message today. You are not alone, dear saint, if you find yourself facing wave after wave of trial, because David certainly did. He literally just finished playing and singing the last note of the last chord of his new song to the Lord in Thanksgiving, and he jumps right into a cry for help. But I want you to notice verse 11. Verse 11 as it is the key at the head of this fresh prayer for deliverance, he writes, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Notice how David reaffirms the mercy of the Lord as he evaluates his present situation. He had been uh, looking up, looking inward, looking upward. Now he's looking around and he sees his enemies surrounding him. And as he does, he reaffirms the mercy of God. This is the way. This is how it's done. This is one of the reasons we have the Psalms in the Bible, to teach us how to pray. Listen, your present trial always seems overwhelming when you're staring it in the face. But when you reflect on the past and rejoice in past deliverance of God and what he's done for you already and you recommit yourself to obedience to his ways, it creates in you an expectation God is going to do it again. He is going to show up again like he's done repeatedly before. Now, My prayer as I was preparing for this message is the Lord would increase my own faith as I took time to remember and reflect on God's wondrous deeds in my life. as I know you can reflect on His wonderful works in yours. Now this is one of the reasons why spending time daily in God's Word and setting it aside one day in seven to worship the Lord on the Lord's day is so crucial to your ability to live out your faith in present distress. You see, it can have a compounding effect on your soul if you are facing trials without ever being reminded of God's prior faithfulness. You forget the wonders of the cross. You focus on the here and now and not the amazing grace you have experienced already. So there is no way to reaffirm the mercy of God until you've affirmed it and acknowledged it as you are reminded of it, say, in your morning devotions. Or say, as the dear saint behind you sings those lyrics to the song, as you know what trial they're going through. And you're reminded of God's past deliverances so you can reaffirm his mercy at present. David humbles himself in the Lord's presence and once again, he asked God to be the deliverer he already knows him to be. Then finally today, as we wrap up our summer in the Psalms, I want to give you rock-solid hope as you face the storms of life. And the most solid footing I can give you is to encourage you to relish in what Christ has done. Relish in what Christ has done. Brothers and sisters, this whole psalm points us to Jesus. We considered a few weeks ago the idea of our Lord speaking in prayer or singing a a hymn from the psalms that involved iniquity in it. It seems strange to, to say that because Jesus was, of course, without sin. And yet we saw in the New Testament that through our mystical union with Christ, he became sin on our behalf that is the great exchange that the sinless one felt the sin and weight of all those who would put their trust in him in the garden of gethsemane he agonized under it the gospel transformation study bible says about verses 12 through 17 psalm 40 poignantly anticipates verse 12 through 17 christ's own gethsemane experience and his death on the cross the priest himself became sin on our behalf that substitution must move our hearts to love his salvation and to say continually great is the lord the bible encourages you read the psalm first with an effort to make it your own prayer then read it again with the comfort that because christ prayed it perfectly he can enable his disciples where our faith is weak so Verses 12 to the end are about Christ, but it isn't just the latter part of the psalm that speaks of Christ. We've already looked at verse six to eight. And as it was interpreted by the writer of Hebrews, that's about Jesus too. We talked about how Jesus delighted to do the will of the father, even to the point of death, all in what had been written of him in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. But as I close today, I suggest to you that the greatest bedrock of our hope is that this psalm points us to the resurrection of Jesus in the first several verses. That Jesus himself was drawn out of the pit of destruction. The Christian Standard Study Bible says about verse 2, the term pit is referring figuratively to Sheol. It represents death. And that to be brought up means to be rescued from death. And so all you Camp Crossroads kids know Jesus is the true and better Joseph who was taken from the pit to be the Lord of all. When our Lord bore in his own person the terrible curse which was due to our sin, he was so cast down as to be like a prisoner in deep, dark, fearful pit of death. But now, dear saints, The Redeemer's work is done. The Father has raised him up, set his feet on a firm foundation, and Jesus has accomplished his work. Jesus can never suffer again. He reigns forever victorious. And for those whose hope is in Christ today, our only rock-solid hope is that if we have died with Christ, as Paul says in Romans 6, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again, and death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I have no firmer ground for you than that, If your life feels like it is sinking and out of control, I wonder, have you died with Christ? Have you been raised with Christ? Has the Lord delivered you from the miry pit and set your feet upon a rock in Christ? If not, place your faith and trust in Jesus today. And if you have put your faith in Christ, then rejoice in past deliverance. Respond Enjoyful devotion, reaffirm God's mercy in your present distress, and dear saint, rest on Christ's finished work.